Have you sat down, thought, pondered, wondered? December 2009, the nurse called the next patient, my wonderful nurse. I worked with her in that back room that I spoke about on my first episode. She was wonderful to me. She was elderly. And she was about to retire. As we were sitting, waiting for the next patient, a strong smell. It was foul. It started, proceeded with such clicking sound. There was the smell. It started getting stronger and stronger as the sound of this clicking got closer and closer to our consulting room. It was kind of unfamiliar smell because I've smelled so many smells before. It was like a rotten meat that had been stored in the heat and was infested with all sort of microbes that you can think of. The smell was so strong, but I was taught patience and calmness. You gotta be calm in difficult times. But my nurse, Mrs. Mlumguani, was such a wonderful nurse. Nice, short, very funny, full of jokes. I laughed a lot in the consulting room. We had so much fun. I don't know where she is now. This was in Peter Maritzbeck, Durban, South Africa. My name is Dr. Tandega Mazibuko. And welcome to my house call. My podcast. Long overdue podcast named House Call with Dr. Tandega Mazibuko. I am in your living room right now having this discussion with you. Sure, you're wondering, what was that smell? I was wondering too. But my wonder was going to be filled with so much surprise. Because as the sound got closer, I could tell this was the sound of the high heels. So this must be a person who categorized themselves as a woman with the beautiful high heel shoes. I was like, I cannot wait to see the heels because shoes are my favorite. But what was the smell? What was the smell? I asked my nurse. She held her nose. She made an excuse. She said, I gotta go to the restroom. I knew what was happening. She could not stand it. And she walked out. But I was stuck. I am a doctor. I made a commitment to take care of those in need. We'll be right back. It was silent. There were no buses, no trains, 
As a child in the rural village of Guanyuso in KZN, I grew up listening to the stories. We sat by the fireplace and listened to our great-grandmother, Umakonko, who was a wonderful woman. This is my great-grand-the-mother to my grandfather. I grew up watching her. I did not meet my grandfather, but I knew my great-grand. She was tall and beautiful. She told amazing stories. When I went into oncology, I soon realized that listening is central part of patient management and stories, storytelling, story sharing, and listening to the stories is part of education. I just told somebody, I don't share, I teach. We teach through stories. We were taught in Africa through stories by the fireplace. Every patient has a story. Every patient wants to tell their story to a doctor. Are you willing to listen to these stories? As a doctor and as a community, as we share these stories, are you willing to learn and become better and change? So things can be different for tomorrow's generation through you and I. I listened to the stories. I did listen to her story as well. Yes, it was her. She. The high heels. The woman. The smell. My nurse, she finally appeared at the door. She was beautiful, tall. She looked like she carried sorrow on her shoulders, on her head, on her hands. It was heavy. I wanted to help carry it with her. But I couldn't do it for her. We had to do it together. Was she willing? What was wrong? As soon as she came through the door, she walked with her sister, sat down and started crying. Do you know when a patient walks in and starts crying? As a doctor, you don't know where to start. Because without the story, I cannot get to the bottom of the real reason why she's here with me. It's called history taking. I gotta take the history, examine, come to a differential diagnosis, do relevant tests, analyze the results, then come to a conclusive diagnosis. And in cases of cancer, Staging with histology results, which is tissue diagnosis of whatever organ is involved. Look at all the investigations, which are, could be radiological and non-radiological examination. But she started crying. I feel her pain. Time is running out. But I had to be patient and hear the story of such a beautiful woman in so much sorrow. She reached in her bag, covered in a plastic bag, was a bottle. It made a sound 
as it hit my desk. The smell got worse. The smell got even stronger. I was struggling to hold my straight face. Struggling to smile, but I did. It's part of being caring. It's part of being supportive. It's part of treating your patient as a human being. Despite all the challenges that they're facing, we cannot judge them. Judging your patient is the worst thing any doctor can ever do. You cannot judge your patient no matter what they have gone through. I had to listen. She put the bottle filled with maggots or worms on top of my table. The worms were crawling. They were alive. They were moving. They were energetic. They were big and fatty. They have been fed well. What is this? I asked myself. This is 2009, right in the beginning of my training in oncology. What is going on? I asked myself. Why is this woman bringing a bottle of worms in a consulting room and she's crying and not saying anything? Then I was taught inspection. I looked at how she walked in. She had a left hand holding the left breast. Could this... I stopped myself from thinking the worst. I could not even imagine it. She was too beautiful. She was too young. It's impossible, I thought. But nothing is impossible. That's what I always say. Her sister started speaking. She could not speak. She was hysterical. She told me. My sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. As she said that, I had already seen the stain in her left breast. The shirt was becoming yellow. That she was wearing her blouse was starting to lose. The normal texture because of the dryness of the serous fluid that was draining from the left breast. grew up listening to the stories but I had never heard such stories before. I'm sure you've never heard of stories like that too but I, this is why this podcast is important. House Call with Dr. Tandega Masibuko because these stories, I cannot die with them. She was a young 33 year old with four children and a wonderful husband The husband was sitting downstairs. He refused to come and see the doctor. He was a taxi driver. It's an African thing. Most men don't want to be involved in their health care. They don't want to be involved. The traditional man in delivery of children. The sister started telling her story. That many years ago. Three years back, prior 2009, she had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she was offered surgery. 
then I asked myself, if you were offered surgery, what are these worms doing and where do they come from? Did you pick them up somewhere? I cannot just jump for her breast and start examining. That would be unethical. I'm supposed to start by listening and hearing her side of the story. Be patient. Until she can be able to speak, there was nothing else I could do. But wait for the story. And the story will lead to the diagnosis and the diagnosis to the treatment. She said, with a very squeaky voice, I realized that the foul smell is unbearable, but please bear with me. I said, don't worry. I'm here to support you. When she was diagnosed with breast cancer, she was booked to surgery. She came for surgery. She was admitted three years back from 2009. Just on the day of surgery, after the admission, she called her family members and they told her since her breast cancer was on the left side, it may cause major complications, then she must not allow the doctors to operate on her. So I realized that the false smelling was coming from the left breast where the cancer had been diagnosed in 2007. So I realized she had been admitted for mastectomy. I am not sure if it was partial mastectomy or total mastectomy because the difference is huge, which we'll discuss in the next segments of these episodes of this season. You're listening to The House Call with Dr. Tandega Mazibuba, Season 1 and Episode 3. She had heard that the left breast could not be operated on since it's close to her heart. I don't know what fed the community that information. That's because the breast is on the left, then it's close to the heart. They seem to believe there's a vein connecting the heart to the breast, and if you remove the breast, you will be cutting that connection and your heart will stop pumping. I don't know where that comes from. But it is her reality. She had heard that the left breast could not be operated. If it were removed, her heart will stop pumping and she would die. Really, she believed that. It is the effect not just of illiteracy, but of lack of education of healthcare in our community, especially the black and brown community. This is why this whole episode is called The Experience of a Black Female in Medicine. Because as black females, we are treating a lot of challenges and facing a lot of challenges in our own community, where we live, where we reside, with the people we live with. 
she ran to save her life from doctors who were saving her life. She ran away from the hospital in the middle of the night. When she came back to the doctors, it was way too advanced because remember, the treatment of breast cancer stopped with the surgical operation by a surgeon. And that's a long waiting period. And then before you come to me in radiation oncology, she had to be seen by a few doctors before coming to me. She should have not been able to come if she had allowed the surgery to take place three years ago. At that time when she came, she was begging for help. She said, I heard you on radio on Okozi FM, which is a Zulu radio station that I used to go and raise an awareness at. She heard me speak and she was delighted and she felt that there was hope because it was someone who looked like her, who will understand the challenges that she was facing. Yes, I did. I understood. I did a lot of cancer awarenesses in the rural community and I knew the challenges that are faced by our community, especially from the apartheid era in South Africa, where our community was neglected. Our community was not serviced well medically and they had to travel a long distance to get the health care that they required. At time of the story is not told in the manner of the language and order that we expect, but together with proper examination and medical investigation, good listening skill, and patience. You need a little bit of patience and compassion. We end up with the full story leading to appropriate treatment and care. Our patient will not tell us the story that we were trained in hearing. But we have to use our skills, patience, and compassion in gathering more facts into what we hear, what we see, and what's in front of us. We've been trained to take the story, combine it with the physical examination and all other investigations to come to some kind of a story that makes sense. You agree with me that right now the story does not make sense at the moment. It's all puzzling. I needed to do the examination. It was time for examination. Examination began. I had to ask her, to go into the examination and ask for a permission to see her breast. Some patients will refuse. It's their right. You cannot force them. But we can only cancel a request and advise. She agreed. On examination, the blouse on the outside was filled with a stain that you can clearly see. And it was foul smelling the moment I get closer. And I had to unbutton with the gloves, obviously. And we always had to wear a mask at all times and an apron because there were a lot of uh, juices that we saw in the lesions, the cancer lesions that I felt and saw every day. Removing the blouse, some part of the blouse was stuck in the breast itself. 
So I had to be very careful. As I move it, it started bleeding. And as it bled, you could see the oozing of the yellow fluid, serous and clear fluid mixed all together. But what was surprising is the movement of the maggots inside. There were still more maggots over and above the one in the bottle. I think she was also very embarrassed. She couldn't even articulate herself on how she felt. And she couldn't even say, I have maggots or worms. But she had to just show it. She decided to put it in a bottle, which I thought was a very good communication skills that this patient had in order to enlighten the major, the major problem she was faced with. On examination, on the outside, on the exterior, you could see the swelling of the underlying vessels around the lesion and the breast was swollen itself. And the breast was not moving, was immobile. It, could, it had lost the normal bounce because every ball should bounce. That's what we say sometimes. And there was this swelling. It went all the way until the underarm just the swelling all the way around the neck there were ex- extra smaller lesions that were growing and developing on top of the chest wall all on the left hand side this was a painful situation because just from a observation I could see this is a T4B lesion it had a huge ulcer I remember the ulcer, I think it was from estimation, close to something like four centimeter ulcer. It was big, a huge ulcer. The lesion was all over the breast and she looked like a 36 C bra size. That was a huge lesion. It filled almost the whole breast. She was in pain. I had to ignore the maggots and start focusing on examining the breast so that we can be able to get to the bottom of where the problem was. This was a long day. The story started coming together. The story was making sense. But I needed more. I really needed to know more. I had to palpate, feel, take my hands, touch and feel touching and feel it felt like a wood and then going into the side by the lesion by the ulcerative lesion the ribs were exposed I could see almost like a bone you could feel it the ulcer was so deep she also had on examination the hard lesion on the liver on the palpation it was tender she was a little bit of a jumping and on touching her her bones were aching I knew the disease was way advanced just from examination but she still insisted on operation the same operation that was given to her three years ago now she realized that she needed it Could the operation be done? What do you think? Do you think her life could have been saved? Do you think I can save her life? She believed in me. She heard me on radio. 
She knew I was compassionate and I was caring and I was going all out to help my patient. But do you think there's a solution with metastatic breast cancer? Leave me a voicemail on this podcast. Share your side of the story. Share your story. I care. I listen. And maybe we can play this podcast. Your your message on the next episode that is coming after this. I just want to share more of what transpired with you. This column is dedicated to telling the stories of patients, patients who have had a profound impact on my life, made me think outside my box, and given me an appreciation of the many health challenges that often result in breast cancer. Patients laid presentation at healthcare facilities. This is the challenge I'm facing. That most of our black and brown community are coming very late when there is nothing that doctors can do or there is just so much little we can do or the disease have spread all over the body. We only come when we start seeing symptoms and already by the time you see symptoms, it's too late. Sometimes we are not fond of people who are educating us about our own lives. We'd rather listen to people who tell us about everything else, shoes and bags, trips, traveling all over the world, and we ignore our own health. We forget that our health is our wealth. But there are serious challenges that are facing us. On episode one, I did speak about how I grew up. I spoke about being a rural woman and challenges that were faced by my own mother, by me, by my grand-grandmother. And those challenges are reality for women like this that we are facing. We are facing major challenges that are inhibiting us from accessing healthcare. And we, and our lack of knowledge, have driven these challenges even worse because We continue to neglect ourselves. We continue not to eat healthy. We continue not to exercise. But our forefathers have done it before. So can we. We can eat as healthy as possible. And we can live a much healthier life. Without any major changes to our lifestyle. We will never be able to get a breakthrough in our health care. And remember your health is your wealth. You can focus on all the money in the world and make all the money if you do not take care of your health. It's a major challenge. Do you want to hear more about this story? Check me on the flip side after the break. Mental health is a very big part of management of oncology and I think if we miss this part, we miss the patient themselves. Every care has to be associated with a psychologist and multidisciplinary team. Without the multidisciplinary team managing the patient, we will not be able to fully manage patients that come with cancer-related or any other disease like in this day and age where we're facing COVID-19, a coronavirus strain that is caused by SARS-CoV-2 is a major problem. It requires mental health as well. 
I do not think there's any other healthcare sector or management of healthcare disease that does not require mental health support structure. This was supposed to be part of the help for this patient, but how was I going to deliver the proper healthcare with a patient who lives in the middle of nowhere with no hospital next to them? And one house is miles away from another. This I discovered at her funeral. Yes. Prescribed palliative radiation to the chest wall. To the left chest. Palliative radiation is helping with drying the lesion. It manages the tumor locally. Whatever the mass, if it's fluid, if it's draining, it was helping to reduce the serous fluid and the bleeding. It makes your life better. We don't want to palliate. We want to radically treat. There's a difference between radical treatment and palliative treatment when it comes to radiation oncology. When we palliatively palliatively treat you, it means we cannot reverse the damages that has already been done by the cancerous lesion. But if we radically treat, we want to combat the progression, the progression of the tumor itself and its effect on your body, prevent the spread, and we want to contain whatever is happening or reduce the progression of the cancer from your body. So which one would you like? Would you like to come when to be palliated or do you prefer to be to be treated radically? What makes the difference? Who makes the difference? It's you. You create that choice that I have to make. It's created by you for me as a doctor. So when you come late, you are telling me, treat me palliatively. But when you come early, you are telling me, treat me radically. But systemic delays have caused patients who come for radi- were planned for radiation radically, early stage, but because of poverty in the system, because of delays, because of major delays that are associated with our healthcare system, patients are delayed for CT scan, patients are delayed for MRI scan, patients are delayed for booking dates, patients are delayed because it's public holidays, and we end up seeing progression of the tumors that patients present with us, and they start from the slower stage. By the time they come to oncologist, it's already an advanced disease. Can we prevent that? Yes, it can be prevented. If together the community, as well as the healthcare centers, as well as the governments work together, all the policies that are written, if we can all make sure that the policies become reality for the patient, for my patient who's sitting next to me. This is the challenge. This is why on episode one, I talked about being a black female in medicine. And before I spoke about medicine, I went back into apartheid and the political structures that have led to black and brown community members lacking healthcare and lacking treatment and lacking support. 
I'm sure you must have been thinking, oh, there she is boring us with the details of the apartheid and using it as an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. It's the reality. It's the history of our people. It's the struggle at the community level for people who are uneducated, not because they chose to be uneducated like my own mother, but because the system forced them into poverty and forced them into areas which are barren land, areas which are underdeveloped, areas that they cannot even progress. They cannot create job opportunities for themselves. They illiterate, illiterate. And they have not been trained with the skills. They're using the general skills like plowing, but they're plowing the land which cannot reproduce because, as you know, in South Africa, people were moved from their land and they moved into areas of a barren land, places like Soweto. You cannot plant a lot of things in Soweto. You cannot be able, and people were squashed in one places. They were squashed together. There is no way to be able to plow or start any businesses with your hands if you don't have a land and you don't have a space these are the real challenges that people are faced with and this is the story of this woman illiteracy she also delayed she delayed a lot she refused the surgery when it was booked for her but why was that it's because of the lack of knowledge the lack of understanding, her own community told her, if you operate your left breast, your heart is going to stop pumping. And why is it that our patients don't believe us? She was yearning to be seen by a black person, but she couldn't find one. That's another problem. In our hospitals, we have our doctors and sometimes we do not have time to explain all the details to our patients or sometimes there's a language barrier and that language barrier causes lack of knowledge for our patients and causes a major problem in the long run when a patient will have to come on an advance with an advanced disease when it's way too late for us to do anything this is why from 2003 I've been preaching the same knowledge that Early cancer detection will save life, but it's not only cancer we've seen with COVID-19, how our community were careless and making fun and making jokes of COVID-19. I've seen some of my country, um, sisters and brothers, queens and kings, playing around, joking around, creating costumes, which is very good. Fashion statement is amazing, but you cannot laugh at a disease and expect that the disease will be prevented. If you laugh at a disease or you don't take it seriously, it means you're not serious about your life. And when people start dying, it's the only time that we start learning. We should change our mindset. We should start preventing diseases before they care and they kill and they destroy. You gotta prevent. Prevention is better than cure. And especially with COVID-19, we don't even have a cure. We don't have a cure for cancer. So we got to use the preventative window period, which is very short. How do you do that? In your own house, you take your own hands and palpate and fill your own breast every day, once a month. After your periods, take two weeks after your periods and you start your, your own self-examination. It's called self-breast examination. You take your own left hand, you put it in your right breast. You take the right hand, you put it on your left breast. You oppose. 
you take the opposite hand and put it to the opposite breast and make sure that you feel in a secular manner. You look at the clock on the wall. You go clockwise or anti-clockwise. You go towards the clock as the clock goes or you go opposite. Imagine your breast as a watch and it has the line and the signs of the watch and then you go around and feel for your breast. That's exactly how you examine for your breast. You examine it in the shower. But you can also do it, especially people with bigger boobs. They need to be sitting down or lying down. Lying down is the best because then you can have full control of your breast and move around with your hand. You need to feel a smooth nodule amongst the many rough because your breast has normal roughness, which is like a sand. And there's a stone within the sand. So you're looking for that smooth stone within the sand. You're looking for a lump within the breast tissue. The breast tissue feels, I will. I always taught people in all the cancer awareness I've done, think of a sand at the beach and the stone. This is exactly how the f- breast feels like. It feels nodular. A lot of people get start panicking and say, I felt a lump, I felt a lump. No, it's not a lump. You did not feel a lump. It's nodular. Your breast is nodular and it becomes even more nodular during your menstruation. But there are also lumps that occur during pregnancy, during breastfeeding. And those lumps that are occurring during breastfeeding, you need to go and get them examined because they may not be breast cancer. They may be just a lump, which is associated with breastfeeding and causing abscess formation, which is another pathology altogether and pathophysiology. Another range of progression of disease, another mechanism of development of a lump. Not every lump that you feel in your body is cancerous. It could be benign or it could be malignant. Benign means not cancerous. Malignant means cancerous. We will cover those topics too because it's a very important topic that you need to know and learn how to differentiate between the lumps in your body so that you don't call everything cancer. But I'd rather have you getting worried instead of relaxing too much. Because it's very important to make sure that your body is well taken care of. And nobody should know your body more than you. You gotta know your own body. You gotta take care of your own self. You gotta be able to make sure that you live a healthy life against all odds, against all challenges that we may be faced with. It is very important that we care for ourselves. Feel your own breast every day at home. Make sure that you are safe every day. And your health and your well-being is a priority. And take care of your health care. The major challenges that the patient was faced with are not just the challenges of her alone. This is a story that I found amongst many stories, but I wanted to share this story. And I called the article, Asilaleli, let's listen. Asilaleleni, please listen. Listen to the stories and use the stories to change your own tragedy in life and change your own life completely. So that at the end of the day, We don't do the same and repeat the same mistakes that others have done. We can prevent diseases by how 
we take care of ourselves, but how we prevent. Like I mentioned, as a child, I listened to the rural village stories. We had elderly people telling our stories. But we got to change this. We are the ones who are supposed to tell the stories of the things that we see. And this patient was from Dundee. I went to the Department of Health and asked help for them to take me. That was Peter Meinsberg at the head office of South Africa. A young lady called Keshni Naika, if I'm not mistaken. She said she will come with me to the funeral. We went to the funeral. The patient was in the church called Zion, the Zion Church. And you could see the knowledge was not there about the cancer. I spoke at the funeral. I don't usually go to patients' funeral because I believe that I should be the part of the change and prevention of diseases. It's no impact for me to be able to go to a funeral. I should make sure that people don't end up in the graveyard. But this patient, I wanted to go because I wanted to see where she came from and have a full understanding in order for me to come back and make more changes in my clinic. I went there to show the support, but also to see why kind of a community will tell a person who's very sick to deny health care. And as I was driving, I realized as soon as I step into that community, why she thought the way she did. I realized that the problem is dating back into our challenges of having no health care knowledge. So she grew up in this village, went to the schools in this village, and the schools are like under the tree. There were small, like small classes, classrooms, and most of the class will study outside. It was really a poor backward back backward community and illiterate. In South Africa, millions of people have never heard of cancer and how deadly it is. Millions of people are still in denial. Millions of people are still not going to the doctor when they first feel the lump or feel something. I remember I had a patient who denied and said, it's not cancer, it has a mosquito bite. I've heard a lot of myths and misconceptions, which we'll cover also in this episode or in the next episodes. There are myths and misconceptions that are causing major delays for community from coming to us. And this is the reason why we are doing this podcast, so that you know you can prevent and we can detect early the diseases. Millions of people present with lesions and they never get help. I was watching in one of the Facebook conversations, somebody says, how do I get rid of fever fast? My response was, we need to know what the cause, because if it's an abscess, you need to drain it. If it's a COVID-19, you need a test. If it's, you, you cannot just say, how do I treat fever fast? Fever could be caused by many things. Many challenges are causing illnesses in our body, but we tend to ignore it. Maybe we ignore it because we grew up without access to healthcare. But when things are changing, we need to change our mentality because even healthcare providers are dying of the same diseases that they are not even helping to detect their own body with the knowledge that they have. So we can create a lot of change. This patient taught me a lot. And I hope she taught you too. 
I wrote this article in 2012 and I shared it with the breast cancer magazine. And this is what it was written. The majority of the patients are black, illiterate, and poor. This was my conversation. And I requested that all the details be written down because I knew this was a historical story that will forever be shared. And I knew that very few doctors have stories like this. To complicate matters even further, they have a complex belief system based on culture, religion, and myths that are central to their understanding of medical condition. Traditionally, patients seek the cause of illness within the framework of indigenous beliefs, and cancer is interpreted as a conflict, particularly in social relationships. Many patients believe that witchcraft has caused this cancer. Sometimes they believe that it's a spell from the neighbor that brought this cancer. These were patients that I saw every day, and I made a choice personally to go into these communities and provide health care. So my interest was only in poor hospitals, in communities that are previously disadvantaged because I knew I was very patient and I wanted to serve those communities and I was serving intentionally with the whole heart not because I was forced by the system I wanted to be in the hospitals where I can make change but I also wanted to be in the hospitals where I can learn like in that time was in Kose Albelutuli was very key to my training and I needed to be there in order to be able to provide the best health care that the community needed I worked in poor hospitals. I worked in also very fancy hospitals, but when the call out came for doctors who were needed, I was always there. I responded to the call by King Edward Hospital. That was in 2008. When they did not have doctors, we were going to operate in obstetrics and gynecology at King Edward Hospital in Durban, South Africa. Reason for my responding is because I knew the salary was not enough and a lot of people wouldn't take it. But I knew also I had an internal social responsibility and obligation and ethical drive to be able to service those communities. And I'm grateful and I thank God that he gave me the strength the, the, and the privilege to be able to serve and patience not to rush all the wealth, all the fame and fortune, but to be able to serve. And through serving, God has blessed me. As many patients still do believe in witchcraft, still believe in spells, still believe in myths and the social, economical, cultural factors that are influencing their decision for their health care, I'm seeking you as family members to come together and help us. Traditional healers, I've worked with them, came together, we decided to create some kind of a system where we can work together. All the way in South Africa, thank you, Mrs. Mkize Makosi, for working with me and many other traditional healers. She was based in Piramarsbeck, and so many traditional healers were based in my village. Guanyuswa used to have meetings. I will educate, they will educate, we will talk and come to a conclusion on how we're going to manage patient as a referral system where we refer for one another. I created a system that was going to work for me because I was the only black in the department. And as the only black in the department, when this patient came to me, 
a very few people to understand this patient. Most of them will scold the patient, but it was not her fault. I understood where she came from, and this is why I went to her house to see, learn, and understand, and have a full understanding of why our patients are presenting with advanced disease. Why are you going? La- why are you coming late to the doctors? I need you to tell me. Is it because of lack of trust of the system? Or is it because the system is not caring enough? How can we improve the healthcare in our community? How can we help these rural cancer patients? How can we help the rural COVID patients? How can we make sure that diabetes and hypertension and weight, just basic weight management, is provided for all patients? We know in America there's a challenge with healthcare, with uh, patients cannot afford healthcare and the division of healthcare, it causes people to suffer because they cannot afford to see doctors. How are the black doctors helping in managing that problem? Are you providing your community with free clinics where you can at least do a diagnosis free of charge and do a referral? That cuts a hell of a long long line and a long waiting period. In short, I founded an NGO called Sinomosa Notando Community Development. Sinomosa Notando means we have love, care, and generosity. We care and we love our community. And this is why it's so important for me to do this education because through Sinomosa Notando Community Development, I've been able to educate the community. Yes, I was the main funder because it was very difficult to get funding for at that time for black and brown community as it was believed and it was written in literature in South Africa that cancer occurs amongst um, European, amongst elites, amongst the rich community, which was not the people of my skin color, my origin, my Guanyuso village. So then I had to start teaching patients on my own. This is how Sinomusa Notando was born in 2004. We're celebrating 18 years this year And I'm so grateful that you're part of this celebration and this podcast, House Call with Dr. Tandek Mazibo, is part of an 18-year celebration. Looking back, as you can see, on stories like the ones we've seen in 2009 and saying, how can we make our life better? How can we educate better and self-examine ourselves better and make sure that we prevent diseases those bone lesions that she had, the pain, the bone scan came back, it was reactive, which means the cancer had spread into the bone. Remember on my examination, I found that the liver was also palpable and it was also tender, which means you could feel she was in pain. Also that was came back and showed that it had spread into the liver. So her cancer had spread into the breast. It began in the breast, which you call a primary lesion. A primary lesion was in the breast, which has spread into the chest. She had lesions in the chest wall. She also had lesions in the bone. She had lesions on the liver. So that is a metastatic breast cancer. Can a metastatic breast cancer get better? Yes. It can be treated better, but it depends on where you are with resources. There's many other forms of therapy that are available now that were not available back then. There's so many other drugs besides the chemotherapy and radiation, which you cannot give. um, She also did receive chemotherapy, but we did not have treatment like immunotherapy. We did not have treatment like biologicals, but we have 
we had radiation and chemotherapy and we gave her both chemotherapy and radiation but it was way too late because both of it was palliative treatment she was young we could have saved her life maybe if we were in another country but with the lesion and ulcerative lesion she needed palliative radiation but because of the distance where she was leaving by the time it was her next appointment it was already too late within two three weeks she was gone so we didn't have enough time to be able to manage her we didn't have enough time to be able to give her the best health care that was available even the investigations takes very long you get many dates that we book in order to be able to see the, ex- the disease extent to see the scan we have to make sure that we do the full examination and bone metastases are treated differently there's a certain kind of treatment that you treat the bone metastases separately try to do the best that we can with the resources that we have is very important to make sure that the patient is well cared for this podcast is not an oncology podcast but i wanted to just briefly cover certain aspects of oncology in order for you to know how to manage breast cancer in case you're a medical student or a medical doctor so we can share a little bit more I just want to end with for for Forbiof et al which is dated 2001 this is my favorite I always used to talk about it the concept that painless breast lump is potentially fatal is difficult for many rural women to accept that 80% of black women with breast cancer refrain from modern medical treatment isn't that something this was Forbiof et al in 2001 i used to quote this uh doctor so much and finally i met him at one of the esco conference i was very delighted to meet him because i like his writing i like their writing because it's at all it means there's many other researchers that he worked with so he's done a lot of uh writing back in 2000 2001 back in in 2016 we talked about a lot of challenges that are faced by patients with breast cancer so we'll talk a little bit more and i'm hoping that today was a wonderful day for you and you're taking good care of yourself stay safe wear a mask protect yourself social distance and wash your hands and if you're not feeling well stay at home and if you're at home make sure everybody is safe around you Remember you are enough and you're very special and your life is very important and your children and your family needs you thank you